going through a sermon series on what it means to follow Jesus. We've been unpacking different parts of the Bible, and specifically parts of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and we've been talking about uh, just different ways, different aspects of following Jesus. And uh, today we'll be reading from Mark 13, 32 to 37, but before we do that, I want to share something that happened recently in my own life. About two weeks ago, I found out that my grandmother had passed away. My grandmother, she lived in China. She was 92, so she was up there, and uh, she passed away. Uh, and I just took this short, last-minute trip to China for this funeral. I was in and out of the country in less than two days. Um, but it was very odd for me. It was, it was a very odd experience for a variety of reasons. One, I had never attended a funeral in China before. Um, I haven't spent much time in China, and so I didn't... They had all sorts of customs that were very interesting, and if you want to learn about them, you can talk to me afterwards. I won't go into them. Uh, but another thing that was interesting, that was sort of odd, was I was by far the youngest person there. People in their 90s don't know too many people in their 20s, and so that's... Uh, I guess I, I don't even know if there was anybody younger than 50 at this funeral, and I was by far one of the youngest people there. And... Uh, and it was interesting because my grandmother, she was a high school teacher for most of her life. She taught history, and uh, she was retired for more than 30, almost 40 years. Um, but there were still 25 students, 25 former students who attended the funeral. And uh, some of these students were in their 60s and 70s. And so it had been like 40 or so, 50 years maybe, since these people sat in our high school classes. But they kept in touch, and, and so it was an amazing testimony to the life she lived. Um, but I, I think the thing that was the most odd for me was the simple fact that my grandmother had passed away. Um, I can't say that it was a surprise, you know, I, I think I, we saw it coming. You know, she had Alzheimer's for a long time, she struggled with that in and out, and she was in and out of the hospital for a long time, and she was in a coma for the past, the, for the last month of her life, and so we knew that any day it was going to come. But even when it did come, there was a sense in which, you know, I didn't expect it. I wasn't prepared. I wasn't ready for it. Um, even though I knew she was going to pass away soon, even when she passed away, it, it seemed like it wasn't right. It seemed like a dream. And it was a sober reminder for me that everything comes to an end. Everything comes to an end. Even when I'm immersed in the business, I mean, sometimes when I'm immersed in the business of life, I don't think about that, that everything comes to an end. I just, you know, live with this mentality that who I am, what I do, it, it, it's infinitely important and uh, it will last forever. But things don't last forever. The things that I dedicate myself to will come to an end. All things will come to an end. And at the same time, we don't know when that end will be. We just don't know when the end will be. Today we'll be talking about the end of the age. Not the end of just the human being, but the end of the world as we know it. Because here's the thing, following Jesus doesn't mean just following a set of principles. It means following a person. Jesus is a person, and Jesus is a person with a story. And the story, like any story, has a beginning and an end. And there's a progression to the story. And so following Jesus means understanding this progression, understanding the beginning, understanding the end, and understanding how all of that affects our lives. Because we live in the middle of the story, between the beginning and the end, we need to understand how God is moving history from beginning to end. We need to understand that our lives are intricately connected um, to this grand story. And so therefore, one of the components of following Jesus is to understand, to learn about this end, to learn about where we are headed as a world, as a universe, as a reality, and how our lives today are to be different 
because of that end. So I'm going to dive into Mark 13, and I'll start from verse 32, and I'm just going to read it. If you want to follow along, you can follow along on the screen. But concerning that day or that hour, no one knows. Not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Be on guard, keep awake, for you do not know when the time will come. It is like a man going on a journey, when he leaves home and puts his servants in charge, each with his work, and commands the doorkeeper to stay awake. Therefore, stay awake. For you do not know when the master of the house will come in the evening or at midnight or when the rooster crows or in the morning, lest he come suddenly and find you asleep. And what I say to you, I say to all, stay awake. The context of this uh, passage is Mark 13. And in this chapter, Mark 13, Jesus is teaching his disciples about the end times. He says all sorts of different things, but just to summarize real quickly, Jesus talks about in this chapter how... In the future, there will be all sorts of destruction. There will be all sorts of things breaking down. There will be a breaking down of humanity. And uh, in, in the most common example he cites is war. There will be all sorts of wars. And there will be a breaking down of nature. He talks about things like earthquakes. And on top of that, there will be a heavy persecution of those who follow Jesus. Those who follow Jesus during this time, they're not going to have it easy. A lot of people are going to be hating on them. And it will seem like nothing is going right. And it will seem like utter chaos. And it will seem like God is not in control. But then Jesus says in this chapter, there's another stage to this end. And that is when he will return. And he says that he will come back one day in power and glory. And this is fascinating because when Jesus first came to earth 2,000 years ago, he didn't come in power and glory. He came in humility and in poverty. He came as the lowliest of the lows. And in, he, and, but Jesus says that when he comes again, it's not going to be like that. He's going to be coming in power and in glory. And I imagine that it's similar to the scene in the Lord of the Rings, the two towers. Uh, if you've seen it, when they're fighting the battle of Helm's Deep, they find the battles of, Hel- of Helm's Deep, and then Gandalf the White, he comes in, and everything's chaos, and everything's being destroyed, and, and Gandalf comes in to the rescue, and people, some of these guys didn't even know that Gandalf was alive, and he's coming in, and he's saving the day, and I imagine that's the scene when Jesus comes in in power and glory. That's, what, that's a little glimpse of what's going to happen. And when that happens, Jesus is going to take over, and he's going to win the battle. This battle that we've been fighting individually, at a cultural level, socially, politically, whatever, religiously, this battle, Jesus is going to come in, he's going to swoop in, and he's going to win. And when that happens, it will be revealed that God was in control this whole time. That although all these wars and earthquakes and all these things are happening, it seems like there was utter chaos, it will be revealed that God was in control this whole time. And at the very end of this chapter, Mark 13, we have this passage that we just read, And Jesus effectively says two things in this passage. Number one, you don't know when the end will come. And number two, uh, be on guard and stay awake. So we'll tackle these things one at a time. Number one, you don't know when the end will come. Jesus says in verse 33, for you do not know when the time will come. For some of you, this might sound a little bit unsettling. You know, you don't like that the world is going to end. And you don't like that you don't know when the world is going to end. You know, and it, because the thing is, it's sort of like a final exam. You know, for some of us, I was sort of like this in school. Like, final exams, I mean, they were bad and stuff, but I feel like I could tolerate them because I knew they were coming. At the beginning of the semester, I knew on my syllabus or whatever, this is the final exam, so I can study for it, I can prepare for it, I can procrastinate to the last minute, I can do whatever, but I know it's coming. But God says the end of the world is it's not really like, it's sort of like a pop quiz. And those are the things that I dreaded, because you don't know when those are coming. 
right? They can come anytime. So you have to be ready at any moment. You know, it's, it's, and the thing is, like, we live in a culture that we love being in the know. We love predicting things. But we don't like not knowing when things are going to happen. And in fact, there are, huge, there are whole industries that are dedicated to predicting things, to predicting the stock market, to predicting, you know, what sports teams are going to win or lose, to predicting election results. Like, there are whole jobs out there that are dedicated to predicting things. Our, whole, our culture is, we are obsessed with this idea of predicting things and knowing things. And Jesus here is saying, you don't know when the end will come. You can't predict this. You can't prepare for this. And it's sobering because it means... We can't just say stuff like, I know my life is not in order now, but I'll get it in order in the future. We can't say stuff like, I know I'm doing all these things I'm not supposed to do now, but I'll get things in line in the future. I'll know one day I'll get it right. We can't say stuff like that because we just don't know when Jesus is going to come back. You know, for some of you, uh, sometimes we don't like thinking about the end of the world uh, because we, you know, we, we have certain goals in life that we want to accomplish. I don't know if any of you guys relate to that. We might say stuff like, you know what, I think it would be nice if Jesus returns. But first, I want to get my life in order. Well, I I think it's nice that Jesus will return. But first, I want to experience marriage. I haven't experienced marriage yet. Or maybe some of us will say, you know, I I think it's nice that Jesus will return. But first, I want to, you know, uh, pursue these professional things. I want to get this sort of job. Or I want to accomplish this sort of thing professionally. Or some of us might say, yes, I, I, I want Jesus to return. But I want to travel the world first. I want to see everything first. And why do we say stuff like that? Because we want to be in control. We want to know what's happening next. We want to prepare ourselves for future events. And we have, this, we have our whole lives planned out. And we think, if we just follow this plan that I've laid out for my life, then things will go well. We believe that uh, this life that we planned out is the best possible life that we'll have. And we think that if the end comes, it will disrupt our life. It will interrupt our life. It will make things uncon- inconvenient. It will disrupt our goals. You know, we, but we don't want that. We want to be in control. But for others of us, uh, maybe you don't think about the end of the world. Maybe you're, this is unsettling for you because the, the end of the world, it just freaks you out. To be honest, it just freaks you out. You know, when you read about it in the Bible, you know, it sounds, it sounds like the Lord of the Rings. You know, you have wars, you have earthquakes, you have dragons, you have bulls of wrath, you have famine, you have all, falling stars, you have all these things. And it just doesn't really make sense. Okay, so you just say, I don't really want to think about this. And why don't we want to think about this? Because it doesn't make sense. It, it, it gives us this sense of we're not in control, right? So you prefer to think about what's familiar when it comes to the Bible. You know, when you read the Bible, it says stuff like love your neighbor. You think, oh yeah, I can do that. That makes sense. That's understandable. That's manageable. Or you read stuff like be joyful always. You go, yeah, I can do that. That sounds manageable. But then you read stuff about the end of the world. You don't know what to do with that, right? It, it just seems so bizarre and so crazy so insane and so you just sort of don't really think about it at least i do that sometimes i don't know about you you know the 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 mere idea of the world ending outside of the bible that idea is unsettling you know like uh, regardless of how you think the world will end whether it's alien invasion or you know some flu will wipe us out or some uh, zombie apocalypse regardless of what how you think the world is going to end there is no scenario that you can think of that you would think oh i want that scenario you just, th- there's nothing all of those scenarios are bad scenarios and so all, when we think about the end of the world it freaks us out there's nothing more out of control than this idea of the world ending 
Because your well-being, the well-being of your family, potentially, is dependent on all of these factors, these external factors that you can't control. But in our scenario, it's doubly unsettling because not only is there this end of the world, but there's also this component of you don't know when the end of the world is coming. So this end of the world, which is this out-of-control event, is unsettling because you don't know when this out-of-control event is happening, which makes it even more out of control. So it's doubly unsettling. And and, and in order to to illustrate this even more, Jesus talks about this story of this man going on this journey. And uh, he says that, he talks about in the story, he goes on this journey and he gives these servants these tasks to do and he doesn't tell his servants when he's coming back. And uh, try to picture, just try to picture this happening too. Okay, let's say you work somewhere and your boss goes off on this journey and he says, I need to go do something. And uh, so here are some tasks for you to do. Just take care of these things while I'm gone. And he asks, so when are you coming back? And he doesn't say, he just takes off. So how would you feel? You might, you might work at things for a while, but eventually you might start wondering, when is this guy coming back? And how long am I doing these things for? You know, when is my shift ending or whatever? You know, you might start wondering these things. You know, in, in our world, we would probably think, oh, I should text my boss or I should call my boss and try to figure out what's going on. But in Jesus' world, you couldn't do that. There were no cell phones. There were no landlines. There was no internet. There wasn't even a, a Pony Express. There was nothing. You couldn't do anything to try to figure out when your boss was coming back. If your boss goes on a long journey, you just suck it up and you just deal with it. And you just wait it out. And that's uncomfortable. That's an inconvenient for us because we don't like that. We like timeliness. We like orderliness. And we like, we like knowing when things are going to happen. But God says he isn't going to tell us when Jesus is returning. But unfortunately, thousands of Christians, we've taken all sorts of Bible passages and we've crunched all sorts of numbers in order to try to figure out when Jesus is returning. There are whole books and articles and websites that are dedicated to try to figure out when Jesus is returning. And so far, all of them have been wrong. And those that, have, that aren't wrong will be wrong, most likely. But the thing is, you would think after the first thousand times of people predicting it wrong, you know, people saying, Jesus is going to come back on this date, and the date happens, Jesus isn't back. you think after the first thousand times, people would come to the realization, oh, you know what, maybe we shouldn't do this. But they don't. They keep going out. They keep trying to figure it out. Why? Because we don't like to not be in control. We don't like to not be in the know. We don't like uncertainty. We, in fact, we idolize control. Even when Jesus blatantly says, you don't know when the time will come, we still want to know when the time will come. So yes, some of us are unsettled about this. And so what do we do? How can we be settled about this? How can we be okay with the fact that we're not in control? I would say there's only one way to know, uh, to be okay with the fact that we're not in control. And that is to know that God is in control. The only way you can be okay with the fact that you're not in control in your life with the fact that the world is ending is if you know that God is in control. In verse 32, Jesus says, But concerning that day or that hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven nor the Son, but it doesn't end there. He also says, But only the Father. In other words, you may not know when the time will come, but it's okay because God knows when the time will come. You may not be in control, but it's okay because God is in control. And because God is in control, we can relinquish control. Sometimes when we think about the end times, we are afraid because we don't have control. And it gives us fear. It gives us, gives us anxiety. And we sort of just, as a result, we put it on the back burner. We try not to think about it. Or we sort of 
just distract ourselves. But instead, the doctrine of the end times shouldn't give us fear. It should give us tremendous confidence. Because it means that no matter how bad things get, God is in control. No matter how many wars there are, no matter how many earthquakes there are, no matter how many churches are burned to the ground, no matter how many tragedies you experience personally in your life, one day Jesus will return in power and glory, and it will be revealed that God will win. It will be revealed that all this time, even when it seemed like nothing was right, that nothing was going well, that God wasn't in control, it will be revealed that God was always in control. That's what the doctrine of the end times teaches us. Maybe for some of us, uh, depending on who you are, uh, our way of dealing with the end times isn't necessarily to ignore it, but it is to intellectualize it. Uh, and we, In a sense, we depersonalize this doctrine by turning it into an academic exercise. And what I'm saying is, in other words, we, we immerse ourselves in detailed discussions and conversations about the end times, about how the end times will play out. You know, we talk about whether or not there's going to be a rapture. We talk about when the tribulation will happen. We talk about whether Jesus will come at the beginning of the tribulation or after the tribulation. We talk about how this country represents this in the Bible and whatever. We talk about all these things. Not all of us. For some of you, that feels so bizarre. Why would people talk about that? But for some of us, that's our bread and butter. We talk about that all the time. And why do we do that? Maybe some of it is just curiosity. But I want to suggest part of that is we want to feel in control. We want to feel in control. By turning these things, by turning the end times into this academic exercise, we give ourselves the illusion that we are in control, that we've somehow mastered the end times, that we somehow have the end times figured out, and therefore we don't need to concern ourselves anymore. But the lesson of the end times is this. You are not in control. God is in control. And you can't figure it out, so don't figure it out. In fact, stop trying to figure it out, because Jesus says, clearly, we can't figure it out. He says, you do not know when the time will come. And so following Jesus entails trusting in God's timing, in God's wisdom, in God's sovereignty. It means relinquishing, relinquishing control, saying, you know what, I am okay with not figuring it out. And just trusting that God is going to figure it out. Because although we don't know when things will happen or how things will happen, God does. And although we can't see ourselves through, God can see us through. So here's the next part. So if God is in control and we're not, then what should we do? What is our response? Well, thankfully, Jesus doesn't leave us hanging. He gives us some commands to help guide us through. And he says, be on guard and stay awake. Be on guard and stay awake. Firstly, we should have a be on guard mentality. And this phrase, being on guard, we don't really use too much anymore. Uh, the only exception I can think of is if you're speaking in French and you're fencing, then you say on guard. But other than that, we don't really use that phrase anymore. Um, but uh, be on guard, this phrase appears three different times in this chapter, in Mark 13. In verse 9, Jesus says, uh, be on, uh, but be on your guard. In verse 23, he says, but be on guard. In verse 33, he says, be on guard. And throughout this chapter, you know, as I mentioned, Jesus is talking about the end of the age. And as he's talking about the end of the age, he could have commanded us to do anything. He could have said, make sure you buy your bread and your eggs. Or he could have said, make sure you, you know you build your zombie bunkers or whatever. But he commands us, be on guard. That's his command. And, and essentially, he's saying, be ready. Be prepared. Be like a doorkeeper stationed at the door. Or be like a soldier awaiting an imminent attack. 
This uh, original word, uh, be on guard, it's used in a variety of ways in the New Testament. And sometimes when we translate words that we don't really know exactly how to translate, we, we do that. We translate it into a variety of ways. So I'm going to read a few passages where this phrase is used, just so you can have an idea of what this concept is talking about. So one example is Hebrews 3.12. The author of Hebrews 3.12, he uses this term and he says, Take care, brothers. And that's the phrase, take care. In Mark 13, it goes beyond God. But that's the term. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. Colossians 2a also uses this term. He says, see to it. So that's the phrase. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. And Ephesians 5 also translates it another way. Ephesians 5, 15 to 16 says, Look carefully. So that's the phrase. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. And so the, the Bible uses this term in a variety of ways. Take care. See to it. Look carefully. And, and the, the point is... In all these verses, the point is, we are being cautioned against something. In all these verses, there is something out there that is out to trap us, out to deceive us, out to manipulate us, and we are to be on guard. We are to be in a defensive stance to prevent ourselves from falling into this trap. We are to be on guard against our evil, unbelieving hearts. We are to be on guard against worldly philosophy and deceit. We are to be on guard against walking unwisely because the days are evil. All these things out there, at any moment in time, they can take our hearts, control us, manipulate us, deceive us, and we are to be on guard against those things. So what is Jesus saying? He is saying, when the end of the world approaches, the main thing we need to guard against is not food shortages or zombie attacks. The main thing we need to be guarding against is this temptation to slowly and gradually slip into sin, this temptation to slowly and gradually stop meeting with other followers of Jesus, this temptation to slowly and gradually replace the priorities of the kingdom with the priorities of this world. There are all these factors out there, these forces out there that are out to get us, and if we're not careful, we can slowly and gradually slip away so that we are no different from the rest of the world, and we're not even followers of Jesus at all. We need to be mustering up all that we have to be on guard to resist those temptations. And the second thing that Jesus says, he says be on guard. And the second thing that he says is stay awake. And he refers to this idea of being awake actually four times in this passage that we read. Starting from, starting from verse 33, Jesus says, be on guard, keep awake. For you do not know when the time will come. And it's like a man going on a journey. When he leaves home, puts his servants in charge, each with his work and commands it to the doorkeeper to stay awake therefore stay awake for you do not know when the master of the house will come in the evening or at midnight or when the rooster crows or in the morning lest he come suddenly and find you asleep and what I say to you I say to you all stay awake what does it mean to stay awake is Jesus saying that we shouldn't sleep no I don't think Jesus is advocating for literal sleep deprivation uh, you know I think Jesus is using this common experience that we have of trying to stay awake as an analogy. And I also want to add, you know, earlier we wrote, we, we sang the song that in, lyrically it went, in peace I will lie down and sleep. And it's interesting because the, the Bible also talks about sleep as a good thing, as rest is a good thing. Sometimes, you know, Jesus says stuff like, come to me all who are uh, weary and heavy laden, I will give you rest. We talked about that a few weeks ago. And, 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 but here Jesus is saying, don't rest. He's saying, stay awake. And I think that's important because the gospel, in a sense, is a paradox. There is a sense in which we need to rest. 
We need to trust in Jesus, rely in Jesus, and we need to stop working ourselves out of doing anything because Jesus is going to take care of us. But there's another sense, we need to stay awake. We need to be vigilant. We cannot just be idle. we got to be active. So there is this active rest. You know, and uh, have you, so I just want to ask, have you ever experienced uh, this phenomenon of wanting to stay awake? You know, you know you got to stay awake. Your body's telling you to go to sleep, but you're trying to stay awake. Have you ever experienced something like that? Um, you know, I've experienced that. In fact, uh, if you were to go on YouTube and you search drooling, I am one of the first videos that comes up. There's a video of me. It has over 100,000 hits of me drooling, trying to stay awake, and I can't. Okay, so that's, but that's me, okay. But uh, I've experienced others, other experiences, too. In college, I think, this happened a lot to me. When I was in college, I would struggle to stay awake all the time. I remember one time I was uh, in this basement, in this computer lounge, and I was trying to write this paper because it was due the next morning, and I was going out, and I was doing all I could to stay awake. I was trying to pinch myself, take walks, drink Mountain Dew or energy drinks or whatever. I was trying to stay awake, but I couldn't, and I just gave up, and I fell asleep. Okay, I don't know if that's, I don't know if you relate to that, but that happened to me. And I remember waking up about two hours later, and I remember just realizing that all my work was gone because, unfortunately, I was in one of these computer labs that erased its hard drive and, re- and rebooted every half hour of, ac- of inactivity. And so that's what happened. So there were four hours, four half hours of inactivity because I was asleep for two hours. And so I rebooted itself four times. So I lost my work four times. And so um, I remember waking up and I remember thinking, why couldn't I stay awake? Why couldn't I stay awake? I just couldn't stay awake. But here Jesus is saying that mentality that you have, this fight that you have to try to stay awake, that's the mentality that we need to have at a spiritual level. He's saying we got to have that mentality, that fighting mentality at a spiritual level. You know, you know, it, it, so regardless of what you've experienced, maybe it's staying awake to try to finish a paper, maybe it's staying awake to, you know, it's, you know, watch the World Cup game, or maybe it's staying awake because your kid keeps crying and you got to feed your kid, whatever. But that mentality that we have, we got to apply that to the spiritual level, meaning we've got to be spiritually awake, spiritually sober, spiritually focused. We can't let any temptation catch us off guard so that we fall asleep. You know, the sentiment is reflected elsewhere in the Bible, like in, in 1 Peter 5, 8, Peter says, Be sober-minded, be watchful. In other words, stay awake. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. If you are a follower of Jesus, that means there is a target on your back. That means the devil is after you. That means that there are temptations left and right. And if you're not careful, if you're not staying awake, at any moment you can fail and you can fall. The reality is we live in a sinful world. We have an adversary, a sinful devil who's out to get us. And we have sinful hearts prone to wander. And at any moment we can fall. And so we got to fight vigilantly to stay awake. And staying awake spiritually means we cannot settle. We cannot just take back doors. We cannot go easy on ourselves. We gotta be, we gotta be fighting all the time. We have to have this wartime mentality. We gotta be fighting. Because it's hard. And why is it hard? Why is it hard? Why is it that sometimes we cannot stay awake? Well, in the literal sense of staying awake, we are fighting the normal and natural rhythms of our bodies. You know, the body is wired in such a way so that we, when we exert our energy for a long time, our body tells us, you got to go to sleep. you got to rest. Just knock out. Rest. Our body tells us all the time. And so when we're staying awake, we're fighting that. We're fighting what's normal and natural. When we're fighting, it's hard. 
And this is key because staying awake spiritually is also hard. It's also a fight. It's also, in a sense, not normal and it's not natural. It is refusing to surrender to the normal and natural rhythms of our flesh. Because our flesh is telling us all the time, stop working so hard. Just rest. Just give up. Our flesh is saying stuff like that all the time. Why are you trying so hard? And fighting, staying awake is saying to your flesh, you know what, I'm not going to listen to you. I'm going to keep fighting. I know what's important. I'm going to keep doing this. During those moments, we will experience thoughts like, I don't want to do this anymore. I want to give up. This is too hard. It would be so much easier if I just went to sleep. It would be so much easier if I just gave in to my sin. It would be so much easier if I just slept in for church or whatever. And why is it easier? Because sleeping is one of the most, is one of the easiest things that you can do. Sleeping is one of the easiest things that you can do. And surrendering to your flesh is also one of the easiest things that you can do. It feels normal. It feels natural. It feels right. But following Jesus is not easy. Following Jesus in many ways is not normal. Following Jesus in many ways is not natural. You will feel like very often that you are doing what you don't want to do. And what you want to do, you can't do. That is a natural process. That is a natural experience for the person who is living unnaturally to their flesh. Following Jesus entails throwing all you have to fighting and resisting the temptation to fall into sin because every single moment is an opportunity to quit. And following Jesus means every single moment you are choosing not to quit. It's an active, urgent, intentional process not to quit. And oftentimes you won't feel like following Jesus. Oftentimes you'll think that following Jesus is too, is too hard. Oftentimes you'll feel like you want to fall asleep spiritually. But during those moments, hear the words of Jesus. Stay awake. Don't give up. Keep fighting. Keep pushing. Keep pressing onward. But the reality is there will be days when we fail. There will be days when we quit. There will be days when we surrender to our flesh. And nobody... And I've experienced that for sure. But I want to suggest nobody experienced that more than the disciples. Right after this chapter that we read, we read Mark 13. In the very next chapter, Mark 14, there's a scene in which the disciples could not stay awake and they fell asleep. I'm going to read in this. This is Mark 14, verse 32. And they came to a place called Gethsemane. And spoiler alert, this is the last day before Jesus is crucified. Okay, so things are pretty urgent right now. They went to a place called Gethsemane. And Jesus said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. And he took with him Peter and James and John, began to be greatly distressed and troubled. And he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch. In other words, he's saying, stay awake with me. And going a little farther, he fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And in other words, he's saying, God, I want to get out of this. I don't know how to, if it's possible to get out of this. He said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me. Yet not what I will, but what you will. And he came and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, Simon, are you asleep? Could you not watch one hour? In other words, could you not stay awake one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And again he went away and prayed, saying the same words. And again he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were very heavy, and they did not know what to answer him. And he came the third time, and he said to them, Are you still sleeping and taking your rest? It is enough. The hour has come. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. 
Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. And after that, Jesus is arrested, he's beaten, and he's crucified. The disciples couldn't stay awake. They kept exerting their energy to stay awake, but they couldn't. The eyes were too heavy. The flesh was too weak. And if we are honest with ourselves, most of us at least, we have to admit that that has happened to us too. We have had moments when our spirit was willing, but our flesh was weak. And as a result, we fall asleep spiritually. We become lazy. We become apathetic. We become aimless. We become we fall into sin. We fall into anxiety. We fall into losing our temper. Maybe we fall into pornography. We fall into all of these sins that are at our door all the time. But when we're not careful, we fall into them. And whatever the case, we have all experienced this common experience of the spiritual inability to stay awake. And we failed. And we've surrendered to our flesh. We've all experienced this thought, this is too hard. I give up. And we give up. And during those moments, we need to remember verses like Psalm seventy-three twenty-six, where it goes, My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Or verses like Psalm 121, 1-4, I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? Not from me. My help comes from the Lord, who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. Do you catch that? Though we may fall asleep, God will never fall asleep. God is a God who never slumbers nor sleeps. And though we may fail, God is a God who never fails. Because there is one person who stayed awake until the end. There is one person who never fell asleep. There is one person who never gave up. And that is this man who went on a journey and left his servants in charge And even though all of his servants fell asleep, left and right, this man on a journey stayed awake. And he completed his mission. And what was that mission? That was Jesus. And what was his mission? He came to earth. And even in the Garden of Gethsemane, when all of his disciples were asleep, when all of his disciples lost control and gave into this fleshly desires, he stayed awake because he knew he wanted to die for the sins of humanity, and to give us a relationship with Him. And so, even in the midst of His arrest, while He was on trial, while He was being beaten, while He was being crucified, at any time, He could have given up. At any time, He could have called it quits. At any time, He he could have called His angels down and to rescue Him, and He could have rebooted, erased people's memories, whatever, started over. He could have done anything to get out of the situation, but He chose to stay awake, to stick it out to the end. And by doing so, he demonstrated that although we are not in control, that God is in control. That although we may fall asleep, that God will never fall asleep. That although my flesh and my heart may fail, God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Please stand with me as we pray. Father, some of us, we feel lost and abandoned. Some of us, we experience heartache and turmoil. Some of us, we are falling apart. There are all sorts of things going on in our lives, things that aren't going right, whether it's financial or or family issues or holiday issues or housing issues or job issues. There are all sorts of things that aren't going right. And sometimes we wonder whether you've abandoned us. We wonder whether you really love us. But God, we trust and we know from your word that even though our circumstances may fall apart, 
Even though our lives may fall apart, even if our whole world falls apart and the end comes, we know that ultimately Jesus will return in power and glory. And that means that you have not abandoned us, that you are in control, and that you will win. Ultimately, we know that although we aren't in control, we don't have to be because you are in control. I pray that you open our eyes to see the glory of the end times, that we won't see the end times as a source of irrational fear or anxiety, but that we would see the end times as a source of confidence, a source of trust, a source of freedom, a source of hope, that what we go through right now, however bad it may be, however horrible it may be, is not the final answer that you are the final answer and you will pull through. You will see us through. Father, maybe others of us, we feel defeated. We feel condemned. We feel ashamed. We feel overwhelmed. And we feel like the disciples in the Garden of Gethsemane. We feel like we've let you down. Over, not just three times, but over and over again. Where you've told us not to do this or not to do that. And our life is full of things that you told us not to do. You've commanded us to stay awake spiritually, but we've fallen asleep. And we've let you down over and over and over. And God, I want to testify, I want to confess, that's me. That's my story. There are many things I know I should have done. There are many days where I look back and I think, I just wasted that day. I didn't read the Bible. I didn't pray. I was rude to my wife. I was lazy. I was lustful. There are all sorts of days when I look back and I remember and I, all I can think is I failed. That I let you down. That I fell asleep. And sometimes I wonder, why does this matter? Why do I try? God, thank you that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Remind us that our salvation, our standing before you, our relationship was never dependent on our ability to fight it was always dependent on Jesus' ability to fight it was never dependent on our ability to pull through to follow through to finish strong it was always dependent on Jesus' ability to follow through to finish strong and so though we fail over and over and over again we have the confidence that Jesus has never failed and that's what matters and though we may fall asleep over and over and over again We may have confidence that Jesus never fell asleep, that he stuck it through, he stayed awake till the end, and that's what matters. And though my heart, though my flesh and my heart may fail, God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Amen.